This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the statewide stay-at-home order has been lifted for every county, with the exceptions of Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach. So let's be careful out there. Today is the day restaurants can reopen for business, but there are some limitations. The end of the lockdown does not mean an end to social distancing. Floridians may be getting back to work, but seniors are being warned to stay inside because of the risk of infection. This will be a bit easier thanks to a new state program that provides free restaurant grub for elders. It's called Meals of Love. You'll get details on the Sunrise interviews. This is also the day that hospitals and one-day surgery centers can resume elective procedures that were put on hold during the pandemic. That's good news for the hospitals. They lost so much business during the lockdown that some of them started furloughing staff. Advocates for inmates say they're worried about the spread of COVID-19 behind bars. They're urging state corrections officials to consider more conditional medical releases for inmates who face the most risk. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the latest on Florida man and his Florida woman, who are both in trouble for an X-rated video chat at a state prison. They could both end up wearing orange. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, May 4th. Let's do the numbers. Florida has now had more than 36,000 confirmed cases of COVID-19 and at least 1,378 fatalities. The first phase of the governor's plan to revive the state's coronavirus-damaged economy is now underway. Restaurants can use outdoor seating as long as the tables are six feet away from each other. Inside dining is limited to 25% of occupancy. Ron DeSantis is also allowing hospitals and other health care providers to resume elective surgeries today. One of the things with phase one is going to be quote-unquote elective procedures returning to the hospitals. CDC had recommended that governors freeze, quote, elective procedures. Part of the reason they wanted to do that was to make sure there was enough hospital space, which um, just from the data, I thought that we would have that, but then they were also concerned about a lack of PPE. And at that time, there was a real concern about that. So, so we ended up doing it, that as we've gone through this, as hospitals have had more than enough capacity, there's obviously a need to, to bring that online. These are really important things for, for people's health. And, um, and we want to make sure that the people understand that, that this is something that they're going to be able to schedule going forward. As phase one of the recovery begins, the fear is that relaxing now will lead to another surge of COVID-19 later. DeSantis admits that's a good possibility, but he says the state will be better prepared if it does happen again. As we go into phase one, um, you know, we just have to wait and see and look at the data. Uh, there's some people that think that we've kind of gotten through this as a country, that it, that it may subside and then really come back in the fall. Uh, well, if that happens, we're going to have a much better infrastructure put in place uh, than the country had in February and early March. And so there's new products coming online all the time, new technologies coming on all the time. I mean, just going back two or three weeks from today, there's so much more available uh, than there even was. And then as you were getting through March and into April, it seems like there was a new emergency use authorization almost every other day from the FDA. So the private sector has really gotten involved in this um, and is really pushing out a lot of great products. So we're going to just continue to do uh, what we need to do to be able to build that good infrastructure. Other than having to go back to work, the governor believes most Floridians won't really notice the changes during phase one. We believe in, in doing safe, smart, step-by-step -step approach. It's not that there's going to be an earth-shattering difference between phase one and what we've been doing. I mean, we're deliberately going 
we're going to be cautious. This obviously is, is very important. I don't know in kind of like the general public, they're not necessarily going to see the difference because they're not coming to the hospital every day, but that will be obviously an important difference. Some of the other things in terms of some of the, the businesses and, um, and whatnot, you know, you know small steps, uh, not terribly different from some of the other stuff we've done. In fact, we've had retail open, Home Depot, all this. Obviously, people have been going to grocery stores. So uh, it, it's designed that way, and I know there's some folks who are saying, hey, just flip the switch and, and just go be done with it. Um, but, you know, the country has never gone, handled an epidemic like we handled this one. Uh, they didn't in 18, 57, 68, if you look at those pandemics. So, so nobody really knows, uh, and anyone that tells you they know for sure, you know, they're not being honest. So, so I think that's why being safe, smart, and step-by-step -step is the appropriate way to consider that. And um, I think we're going to respond well. It's just one step. It's certainly not the Florida that we had in February, but uh, I think that we obviously want get, to uh, get to where we're, we're back in the saddle doing a lot of great things. The state unemployment system continues to be a train wreck as more than a million Floridians have now filed for jobless benefits. When he was asked about those problems Sunday, the governor said he would be devoting today's COVID-19 update to the problems at the Department of Economic Opportunity and the fixes they have tried in order to get money to Floridians laid off during the pandemic. The first Floridian arrested for opening a non-essential business during the lockdown will not be facing criminal charges after all. Galen Wood owns Kitchen Table Games in Pinellas Park, and he continued serving customers through curbside pickup and online orders even after the county ordered businesses closed. He was arrested in mid-April by the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office after ignoring several warnings about failure to comply with the local order. But the state attorney's office has dropped the charges, saying the facts and circumstances do not warrant prosecution at this time. Prison is one of the most dangerous places to be during the coronavirus pandemic. You have thousands of people living in close quarters with little chance to engage in any sort of social distancing. Seth Miller with the Innocence Project of Florida says all the inmates locked up in the state correction system are at risk, and the state has tested fewer than 1% of them. This is a closed community, the most closed community, and um, many jails and prisons are overcrowded. And what we've seen just in the last many weeks is that in many jails and prisons around the United States, um, once COVID-19 has gotten into the prison, either because an inmate who is just admitted brought it in or a staff member who works there, but is otherwise when they're outside of work, um, you know, living in the community, um, has brought it into the facility. And in many places, it's spread like wildfire. Florida has about 100,000 people in uh, prisons um, all across Florida. Um, and they've only tested, uh, this is as of, Friday, they've only tested 735 prisoners, 208 of which um, have had tested positive, and they have another 170 tests pending. They have 146 staff members who have tested positive, and almost 3,600 prisoners remain in medical quarantine, which, according to the Department of Corrections, means that they're either showing symptoms of the virus or had contact with a prisoner or staff member who's tested positive. And um, some of the particular hotspots, are Tomoka, CI, South Bay, Sumter, Gadsden, Blackwater, and Liberty Correctional and Columbia Correctional are maybe uh, rising hotspots, if you will. County jails and federal prisons responded to the COVID-19 pandemic by furloughing some of the inmates who face the greatest health risk behind bars. Tallahassee attorney Reggie Garcia says the Florida Department of Corrections also has the authority to do that, but they haven't. Some states call this compassionate release, some states call this humanitarian release. Some states call this elderly release. 
Florida, the law literally calls it conditional medical release because that's exactly what it is. So I think the challenge and the goal is, is for all of us to encourage the Department of Corrections to use these existing laws, this existing power. It doesn't require the legislature coming back to Tallahassee. It doesn't require a special session. It doesn't require a clemency. It doesn't require a parole. Literally under current law, if your loved one meets one of these two definitions, or you think they do, or they met this definition before they even went into prison, and you could get a letter from a physician that said, as of two years ago, as of five years ago, this was their medical situation. They had this chronic illness or disease. Then that's the starting point to really educate uh, the DOC officials. And our goal is, and our hope is, that the DOC, from a humanitarian standpoint and from a compassionate standpoint, whereas three months ago they would have looked at an inmate and said, not, not dying within the next six months, chronic illness, but not a permanent incapacity. So we don't refer that for potential release. Now they look at the, through the COVID-19 lens, if this inmate who potentially is terminally ill or potentially permanently incapacitated gets the virus and they have a pre-existing respiratory issue, lung issue, propensity for strokes, or even heart or liver or other uh, conditions, Will it then, if they get the virus, uh, make them terminally ill or permanently incapacitated? And if the answer to that is yes or even maybe, then let's do a referral to the Commission on Offender Review so they can consider that specific inmate, his or her current medical condition, and his or her potential more aggravated medical condition if they get the virus. Garcia's legal specialty is clemency and parole. He's even written a book called How to Leave Prison Early. He says families have to make a fuss if they want to cut through the corrections bureaucracy, and it all begins with a simple snail mail. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Uh, and, and, and what do I mean by that? We have 93,000 inmates in 144 facilities and 24,000 employees at DOC, of which 15,000 of those are correctional officers. So as, as simple as this sounds, writing a regular letter to the warden and putting a stamp on it. Why do I say that? Because it may take a week or two to get through, but they're going to get it. Eventually, that warden is literally going to get that piece of paper. They're going to open it. They're going to read it. And hopefully it's going to get their attention. Also do an email. Every warden's email address is on the Department of Corrections website and call the inmate classification officer and the warden. Not, not one of those things, but all of those things in concert with each other. Think about that. If you're the warden and you get 200 emails a day, you may or may not even see it or open it or understand it or access it. Or you may look at it very quickly and refer it to a staff member. But if you get a paper letter and you get an email and you get a phone call and all of those things are possible, and I'm not saying this is easy and you may have to try several times to get through, but then there have been three contacts then that warden, he or she, I think, is going to ask their classification supervisor and their medical director, hey, please take a look and, at, at Joe Smith. He came in two years ago with uh, um, a liver condition, a heart condition, uh, an upper respiratory lung condition. Uh, he's, he or she is missing or has a compromised spleen. Now they've gotten worse, and now COVID potentially is a death sentence for them. 
But none of the inmates or their families should get their hopes up. Garcia says these medical releases are extremely rare in Florida, in part because the people who run the prison system don't really understand the authority they've been given to make these decisions. We want to manage expectations. We don't want to give false hope. I will tell you as a matter of hard data, uh, in the last 24 years, there have only been 346 conditional medical releases, and that was before COVID-19. So 14 or 15 a year is, of course, a drop in the bucket out of 93,000 inmates. But for the one inmate, if, if there's one more that gets released, you know, even if it's just a handful more, ideally, the more, more is better. But, but this is a continuing education effort for the policymakers and honestly for the DOC professionals themselves at the institution level to even know they have this power and discretion. Uh, I, I, I think they know they have it, but I, you know, again, with everything else they have going, they're more likely to evaluate an inmate if the inmate and his or her family members are nudging them in that direction than if, than if they're not hearing from inmates and families that somebody's potentially medically compromised. According to the Department of Corrections website, a total of seven inmates have now been killed by the virus. Nursing homes have suffered far more, and they are still off limits to visitors during the recovery phase. We've had almost 1,400 coronavirus fatalities in Florida. At least 412 of those deaths were at nursing homes and adult care facilities. Next up on the Sunrise interview, we've got a twofer, and it's not even Tuesday. We'll talk with Florida Department of Elder Affairs Secretary Richard Prudhomme and Lisa Bretz, Executive Director of the Area Agency on Aging for North Florida. They're starting a new program for seniors called Meals of Love, which is good news for seniors in isolation and for the restaurants that'll be cooking those meals. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics. Florida Hospital Association members are safe, ready, and equipped to care for all Floridians. As our hospitals resume elective procedures, ensuring the safety and well-being of our patients, employees, and communities remains our first priority. Contact your local healthcare provider for information on visitation policies, access restrictions, and how to get needed care safely. Please visit the Florida Hospital Association at fha.org/covid for more information. Welcome back to Sunrise. The statewide stay-at-home order may have been lifted, but Florida seniors are still being advised to self-isolate because they face the greatest risk from COVID-19. They cannot gather at senior centers anymore to share a meal, but Florida Department of Elder Affairs Secretary Richard Prudhomme says they'll still be able to get hot grub through a program called Meals of Love. Most older adults are now confined to their homes because of the executive orders, community regulations, or even indeed self-isolation. And, you know, we recognize that providing meals to these individuals was, was, while still protecting their health, was a, was a, a huge priority. And, uh, you know, before the pandemic, uh, we would serve over 45,000 meals a day statewide to seniors throughout Florida. And that number uh, since the pandemic has increased exponentially to over 200,000 a day. And of most of those are actually home delivered as older adults are confined to their homes. So, you know, to assist with that huge mammoth effort, uh, uh, we have uh, given uh, a lot of flexibility to our area aids on aging and the meal providers to partner with local restaurants to cook and deliver meals to those uh, seniors. And that also gives those restaurants a financial uh, lifeline during the pandemic, because as we know, they're, they've been closed as well. So, you know, when uh, I was talking to the governor about this, he was really excited because uh, he recognized the, uh, the, the, the constraints on older adults by being confined at home, but also the constraints on business, and we've all heard about that. But this provides an opportunity for us to 
to give back to those restaurants that we'd love to frequent and also gives the, the, the older adults a, a, a nice hot meal, you know, if not more than that every day. Now, what kind of meals are we talking about? Is this full restaurant fare? It's, it's interesting you say that. I think some people think that you can just order sort of, uh, you know, uh, from the restaurant menu and get a bottle of wine delivered. It doesn't work that way. I mean, uh, obviously, we have to make sure there's appropriate dietary uh, and uh, caloric you know, um, requirements for a restaurant. But they can cook and they, they suggest a menu and uh, the meal provider will approve that menu and then they'll cook to that and then, then the meal will be, either be delivered to the senior in their home or could potentially, as in a situation here in uh, Tallahassee, uh, that they're going to be uh, driving by to pick those meals up. And uh, it may not be just one meal, it may be two meals and a snack. It depends on you know, how each individual area agents and aging and their meal providers see uh, what the need is and how best to address that need in their respective areas. Those pop-up sites you mentioned, I presume there, there will be precautions to make sure that everyone is safe from COVID? Oh, most definitely. You know, as they drive by, uh, you know, those people who uh, are, um, the meal providers will have appropriate uh, personal protective equipment on, gloves, gloves and masks, practicing social distancing. And they all they do is uh, the, uh, the older adult driving up will just pop their trunk uh, and the, uh, the, the person will drop the uh, package in, the, in their car and then they'll drive off. So there's no, there's no physical interaction whatsoever. Now, how does someone sign up for this or how do they get involved in it? They can use uh, call the Elder Helpline, uh, which is uh, 1-800-96-ELDER, and they'll ask you uh, where you are, and they'll put you in touch with the, uh, the provider that can best help you, uh, and we'll go from there. But it's very exciting to be able to sort of not only feed seniors in need, but also uh, help those restaurants that uh, have been obviously uniquely challenged through this pandemic, and, and also beyond, to be honest with you. And how long do you think this will be going on? Uh, we, I'll be honest with you, I think, you know, uh, the pandemic may be one thing, but we're also seeing with the uh, economic crisis that's following this, uh, that the need for feeding older adults is going to continue. And we are prepared to address that as, you know, th- throughout, uh, through the, as long as that need is there. If you live in the Tallahassee area and call that senior hotline, you'll be connected to the Area Agency on Aging for North Florida, which is run by Lisa Bretz. We've received some additional federal dollars to... Um, allocate to our what we call lead agencies and in Leon County that would be Elder Care Services who manages a fabulous Meals on Wheels program under Blue Skies anyway. Um, This has increased their budget to extend their services to non-traditional clients. Um, You know day in day out they serve individuals who are 60 years of age and older and this is allowing them to serve um, their current clientele with more than one meal a day um, it, in many cases, they're serving additional two meals, so clients are getting their, their three meals a day. And individuals who are, are homebound now um, due to yeah, the warnings to stay home, do what you can to avoid the spread, um, they're finding it difficult to have uh, access to food. So uh, Elder Care Services is working hard to bring meals to these people so that they don't have to leave their home for nutrition. And what kind of meals are we talking about? Elder Care Services has a fabulous kitchen, so right now, um, you know, they, they serve meatloaf, they serve spaghetti, they serve um, really nice, nutritious, balanced meals for, for older adults, but this new initiative is allowing them to now partner with the community, um, restaurants in particular, so um, this week we were able to work with Four Rivers, and uh, our, our seniors got their two meals from Elder Care Services, and an additional third meal um, through Four Rivers, with um, they, they had a nice spaghetti dinner um, and milk, 
and um, they were able to supplement their their household food. So it was it's really nice to be able to see a well balanced, nutritious um, meal going out. They got a spaghetti dinner from a barbecue joint. They did. I will, <laughs> I will tell you, it's fabulous. So Meals on Love, Meals of Love was actually born out of the Orlando area, and John Rivers through his foundation jumped uh, jumped up. You know, to the to the task of helping to coordinate this initiative down in, in Orlando area. They have a four county area that he has reached out to partner with other restaurants that are serving. The last I heard was 1,800 meals have been served to seniors down there, um, and for a metropolitan area, that's pretty darn impressive. So we we've we've worked with Four Rivers up here because they they already have a model down in uh, Central Florida. And it's worked really, really well down there, and um, they are just a great community partner. It's been the tradition now that Meals on Wheels delivers to the elders, but I understand you're also going with these pop-up sites. How does that work? Elder Care Services has several meal sites. Um, I think they have anywhere from seven to eight meal sites. And some, uh, we call those congregate dining sites. Well, because of um, the executive orders, those meal sites were shut down. But Elder Care Services says, you know what? Continue to come to these sites, and we'll provide your meals. You know, contact no contact delivery. Uh, you come through, we'll put it in your car for you, and you go on your way. So the pop-up is an ideal uh, concept to operate with these congregate sites. Um, we, we already know where our seniors are going to come. We have pre-reservations, so we know how many meals to have available. So the pop-up is a great uh, idea to, first of all, it saves on having to have volunteers transport throughout the, the community, um, but this we wanted to start kind of controlled and contained to see what our capacity is, um, and, and so Four Rivers, that's exactly what they did. We had a pop-up. We had the seniors drive through one of our meal site area, um, and they in the morning, they were given their two meals and a flyer that said, come back um, between two and four for your dinner, and that's how that operated, and it was a really smooth process. So how does someone sign up for this? So the best way for individuals to sign up for our meals programs is by contacting the Elder Helpline. And in our area, they can dial 1-800-963-5337. You'll reach somebody at my agency that will ask you a few questions and determine your appropriateness for um, whether it be we bring the meal to you or you drive to where we have the meals available. The major thing we want to make sure is that people know to call the Elder Helpline because we have other programs besides Meals on Wheels. People may have, have realized that they need more support in home to remain at home, and that's the, the core of all the programming that we administer. You can reach the Elder Helpline at 800-963-5337. Your calendar of events begins at 9 o'clock. That's when U.S. District Judge Robert Hinkle continues hearing testimony in a challenge to a 2019 state law about felons' voting rights. That law is being challenged by the ACLU and the Southern Poverty Law Center. Congressman Ted Deutsch and other Democratic lawmakers from across the country are holding a media conference call at 2 p.m. to discuss protecting seniors amid the COVID-19 pandemic. And the Florida Life and Health Insurance Guarantee Association Board is meeting in the conference call at 4 o'clock. 
Finally, it's time again for the new adventures of Florida Man, and I think we have discovered the ultimate Florida couple. Check this out. A Florida woman is charged with lewd and lascivious behavior while in the presence of a minor because of a nasty video call she made to her inmate boyfriend while her young child was in the room. The arrest affidavit for 32-year-old Noelle Rescati says she was completely nude on her bed during the video chat using various sex toys while masturbating. The child was watching from a few feet away and could be seen talking and walking in the background throughout the video. The boyfriend, 26-year-old Tathan Fields, could also be seen masturbating in his orange prison jumpsuit. He's doing a 15-year stretch for burglary and grand theft. Fields also has two cases pending. He's accused of masturbating in front of a female instructor in prison and making a fake anthrax hoax. You know, on second thought, this really is not the ultimate Florida couple, and you know why? There was no mention of meth. Finally, the Hillsborough County School District says it did not have enough food for students last week because of some greedy Florida parents. There are 147 sites where free food is handed out each week. Families can get a pound of lunch meat, a loaf of bread, milk, juice, and other snacks. But officials say some people were visiting multiple sites to receive free food and then selling it for a profit. People in at least 50 cars went to multiple locations to receive food last week, and some of them sold it on social media platforms. School staff are now using a tracker to make sure parents are not cheating the system by double, triple, or quadruple dipping. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.